Hey everybody, Garrett here, Lightning Round Podcast. Welcome to the 2021 offseason. Before we get into the podcast, just want to thank a few people. We've dropped a couple podcasts and some donations have been rolling in. And we just do these podcasts when we feel inspired to do so. So the fact that you guys are still donating to the Lightning Round Podcast is very kind of you and nowhere near expected. So thank you so much to all of you that donated. We also got multiple donations from a couple people. Antonio Stevens, Chris Bernhardt, and Greg Holcomb. Thank you so much for being so generous and donating multiple times. Also, thank you to John Cooper and Junius Lim for your donations as well. Guys, again, we don't expect it. We're not doing this weekly anymore. We're dropping it when we want to. So we don't expect any donations, but thank you so much for being very generous. So thank you. And let's start the podcast. Here comes a lightning bolt. Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go, Chargers, go. Welcome back to the Lightning Round Podcast. Of course, you remember us. I'm Garrett at Garrett Sisti. Jamie at Lightning underscore round, of course. And since we recorded last, the Chargers hired their head coach, Brandon Staley. And if you want our opinions on Staley, our unbiased opinions before the Chargers hired him, go listen to our last podcast, which was the Top 5 Head Coaching Candidates podcast. Staley got both of our stamp of approval, so you can go hear our thoughts on him over there. But on this podcast, we're going to talk about the guys that Staley has hired under him. Now, the list of coordinators have been all over Twitter, but uh, not a lot of them have been officially confirmed. So we're just going to go over the guys that we know are part of the staff, which are the main three that everybody wants to hear anyway. And that is Joe Lombardi, who was hired as the offensive coordinator, Ronaldo Hill, who got the defensive coordinator gig, and Darius Swinton, who was brought on as the special teams coordinator. So, Jamie... Let's go ahead and go over these three, and we'll start with the new OC, Joe Lombardi. So obviously everybody's familiar with the Lombardi last name. Uh, Joe Lombardi is Vince Lombardi's grandson. Um, Chargers got the Lombardi, baby. They got the Lombardi. Yes. (laughs) Joe Lombardi's been coaching in the NFL and college or the XFL since 1996. Uh, As is the case with most of the coaches that Brandon Staley hired, he has a tie to Brandon Staley. He actually coached Brandon Staley and his brother at Mercyhurst Junior College after the Staley's mother passed away from cancer. He got his NFL start as a defensive assistant with the Falcons in 2006. Joe Lombardi then went from the Falcons to the Saints and was with the Saints from 2007 to 2013, serving as an offensive assistant and then later as the QB coach. I believe he was the QB coach from 2008 till 2013, at which point he left to go to the Lions as the offensive coordinator. And then he went back as the quarterback's coach for the Saints from 2016 to 2020. Uh, his time with the Saints as a quarterback's coach and offensive assistant has mostly come with pretty good reviews. Uh, Drew Brees swears by him, says that he missed him when he left for Detroit in 2014 and 2015. Uh, some of Brees' best seasons from a yard, a passing yard standpoint and a touchdown standpoint 
came with uh, Joe Lombardi as his quarterbacks coach. Uh, he also positives and negatives here because we always give you both sides of the story. Some of Drew Brees' worst seasons in terms of interception totals also came with 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 Joe Lombardi as the quarterbacks coach. So there are positives and negatives there as there always are. When he was with the Lions as their offensive coordinator from 2014 to 2015, he did not have very good reviews. And this is kind of the point of contention with most Chargers fans. It seems like most Chargers fans are either lukewarm on this hire or they hate it. It doesn't seem like very many Charger fans like it very much. Um, And based on what I read about about Lombardi, uh, really... The problem was he was trying to maybe do a little bit too much. I think he was trying to force the Saints system, which is why he was hired, was to bring the Saints system to the Lions. He was trying to force the Saints system uh, onto the the Lions, even though they may not have necessarily had the personnel to run it. Uh, a lot of the reviews were that he ran a lot of uh, ran a variety of personnel groupings, uh, a lot of different formations, gave a lot of different looks, tried to accomplish a lot of different things but that he was criticized for trying to do too much at times. Uh, Maybe tried to be a little bit too multiple in some cases, tried to be a little bit too much like Sean Payton instead of just doing what worked for the Lions. And one of the things that I read was that their most successful personnel grouping in 2014, they only ran about 6% of the time. So he he was not very good at identifying with what worked and sticking with it. Hopefully that's something that he has learned from and and has been able to grow since then um and just i think the other the other complaint that i saw about him was that his his uh, formations and personnel groupings tended to tip their hand in terms of what they were trying to do there was a lot of feedback that he kind of telegraphed his intentions with what he was doing with certain personnel groupings one of the big knocks on him was that detroit did not run the ball really at all uh, when he was the offensive coordinator, that they didn't run it very frequently, and they had no success when they did run it. Now, some of that might have been him. It might have been scheming. Some of it might have also been personnel. At that point, they had uh, basically a washed Reggie Bush as their third down back. In 2014, which was Lombardi's only full season as the Lions offensive coordinator, they also had Joyke Bell as their primary running back. So they really didn't have a lot of talent at running back, and they were rotating a lot of offensive linemen in and out during that time due to injuries and lack of productivity and that kind of thing. So he, there, it's fair to criticize him in terms of not figuring out what worked and sticking with it, um, but I think he also did some good things. Uh, Calvin Johnson obviously was productive, even though it was towards the end of his career. Golden Tate's best year of his career came in 2014 with Joe Lombardi calling the plays. So there were there were some successes there. Uh, one of the things that I liked reading about him was that he is a very detail-oriented teacher. Uh, he teaches quarterbacks what they're trying to accomplish with their route combinations. There's a lot of talk about how the quarterback's footwork ties into where the receivers are in the various phases of their routes. And he also teaches quarterbacks where their eyes should be at the various stages of their drop. So they're really working on tying everything together in terms of what, what routes the receivers are running where the quarterbacks in their drop, what they should be seeing and what they're trying to accomplish, which I think, assuming he can communicate it effectively, I think that's something that will really help Justin Herbert because I think at times 
He wasn't completely clear on what they were trying to, to accomplish with certain route combinations last year. And I think where his eyes were and what he was seeing kind of betrayed him at times. So if they can bring that in and teach that effectively, I think it will really help Justin Herbert. So overall, I think there are some good things here, but there are some things that are some fair criticisms. Oh, yes, definitely. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. Nobody came out and was like, oh, Joe Lombardi. Awesome. Can't wait to see what he does with Herbert. People are like, meh, or like, oh, my God, this sucks. But (laughs) um, uh, so Lombardi has actually coached on both sides of the ball throughout his coaching career. Uh, He's been promoted as high as offensive coordinator, like you mentioned, uh, twice before the Chargers. Uh, You mentioned the two years with Detroit. He also was the OC at Mercyhurst, uh, which is where he was. He met uh, Staley. But um, after the Lions job, he was most recently the QB coach with the Saints, which he did for five years. Before I get into the OC job in Detroit, um, I think there were some impressive things he did in those five years before he's now the offensive coordinator with the Chargers. Now, I know he doesn't call plays, obviously. That's Sean Payton's duty. But the depth he's provided at the quarterback position, Lombardi has and the Saints, has been pretty impressive. We know uh, Drew Brees is an excellent quarterback, and he's praised uh, Lombardi. If we just take him off the table, some of these backups, this Rolodex of guys that he's coached in the last five years— Luke McCowan, in the middle of his career, was all but washed. He bounced around the league, but showed enough in a game after Brees went down that extended his career at least two or three more years. And then also uh, Chase Daniel, who was behind Drew Brees, he appeared in one game for the Saints in 2017, but he shined so much in limited action that the Bears signed him a free agency, and then they eventually made him the starter over Mitchell Trubisky, so extended his career. Teddy Bridgewater resurrected his career in New Orleans behind Drew Brees after all those injuries, and then he even re-signed with the Saints in 2019 when there were rumors that he had some starting gigs lined up, that he could have gone somewhere else and got a starting job. He re-signed with the Saints to be a backup behind Breeze. Uh, That obviously speaks positively of Lombardi. And then Bridgewater was eventually signed as the Panther starter uh, last year. Obviously, he wasn't very good in Carolina, but still was able to get a starting job in the NFL again, which is a positive. Uh, Jameis Winston we saw in 2021, limited action, uh, filled in for Breeze uh, twice. And they won both those games when Breeze went down with an injury. He also most notably had that TD trick play on the pass against the Bucks in the uh, divisional round. And then uh, Taysom Hill, who obviously we saw this year didn't look impressive as a starting quarterback when filling in for Breeze. But what I think is impressive is the way in which they've utilized him as a gadget player, how they've been able to really develop his unique skill set. While, you know, Sean Payton deserves a lot of the praise for the play calling on Sundays. Lombardi obviously has a a play in that. It isn't just coaching a quarterback and doing the reads and everything that you talked about. He is also, you know, a running back, a wide receiver. He has multiple skill set. And the fact that Lombardi is getting a lot out of him speaks highly of him. So I think of those guys, how the Saints sign these middle-of-the-road veteran quarterbacks to back up Breeze and then in turn help revitalize their careers in a sense— is a major bright spot for me for Joe Lombardi. He got a lot out of guys like McCown and Daniel who should not be playing football and still got starting jobs later on. So I think that's a positive for Lombardi. And now in terms of the OC job in Detroit, you know, his first year there, they finished 11-5, they made the playoffs, but the wheels fell off the following year. And even though they made the playoffs in 2014, Lombardi's offense was 19th in total offense and bottom five in the NFL in the running game. 
you mentioned that's part of the personnel. Uh, obviously part of the play calling too, because there wasn't a lot of creative running plays either. But he was fired in the middle of the, his, the following season when they the Lions went one and six, and at that point the Lions were ranked thirtieth in points per game and dead last in the running game. So he was awful, and they fired him real early. And this is when you had a top ten quarterback in his prime, and Matthew Stafford at the time, one of the greatest wide receivers, even though it's toward the end of his career, you've got now a Hall of Famer in Calvin Johnson, and you've got guys like Golden Tate and Eric Ebron. On paper, that's a pretty good offense that should not be 30th in points per game and last in the running game. So the fundamental issue was Lombardi was a hard-headed play caller, and you mentioned a lot of it. The creativity wasn't creative to catch people off guard. He was almost trying to be too cute. It was creative for the sake of creativity. Sure. Rotating players in and out and changing formations. And it seemed like he was confusing himself more than he was confusing the defense. Right, right. Which kind of is shades of Steichen at times last year. Like when, remember that double reverse flea flicker they tried to roll at one time that, yeah, (laughs) that's all that keeps coming into mind. (laughs) But um, in his, in his time in Detroit, uh, Dan Orlovsky didn't have kind words for him. Uh, He talked about the play calling in Detroit while on the Ringers podcast. Orlovsky said of Lombardi's play calling, which alludes to what you were mentioning earlier, Orlovsky said he kept calling the plays that the Saints would do really good, which is where he coached previous. And the Lions and Matthew Stafford weren't good at those plays. He kept calling it because that's all he knew. One, that's the only thing he knew. And two, he saw it to be successful somewhere else. And he's like, no, this works. I've seen it work before. So Orlovsky, to your point, says the same exact thing. And he is right. You are right. It's the same thing I, I thought, too. Lombardi was stubborn. He picked up his playbook in New Orleans, dropped it in Detroit with guys that do not have that skill set. That was not the thing to do. And the ineffectiveness of that offense is eventually what got him canned. It was his own fault. And uh, a writer that I know uh, that writes for the Lions, when I asked him about Lombardi and his thoughts, he said Lombardi wasn't great, and he and Stafford didn't get along. He's the only offensive coordinator that I know of that Stafford didn't like in his career. So obviously that was a long time ago. Lombardi has made a lot of people happy in New Orleans. So maybe he and Stafford just clashed, but that doesn't seem to be an issue now. Just something that happened in Detroit and Herbert within his first meeting in Lombardi, liked their initial conversation. So Herbert seems to be on the right page with Lombardi so far. What I do know is that this team, and um, I think I'm going to hammer this point home with a lot of these coordinators, is this team is going to be shaped by Brandon Staley, meaning he's going to have a hand in all three phases of this game, the offense, defense, special teams. Staley played quarterback, and he was a DC. He's got his vision. So on offense, what Staley had mentioned is that Lombardi is bringing what he learned in New Orleans and bringing it over to the Chargers, and then Staley's going to pair his offensive concepts with that. So hopefully... And I believe that means that Lombardi has evolved since his play-calling days, and Lombardi is more painted in Sean Payton's image rather than Jim Caldwell. So in his press conference, Lombardi also said all the right things. He referred to the NFL being a pass-happy league, which we saw in Detroit. He didn't change that at all (laughs) because he passed a lot in Detroit. And uh, he also talked about how he's going to do what he can to put the ball in Herbert's hands as much as possible. Because the 2020 version of the Chargers offense to lean on that rushing attack did not do uh, Justin Herbert any favors. He won Offensive Rookie of the Year, so it didn't uh, hold him back much, but it didn't help him at all either. So to hear that they're going away from that is good. And one of my favorite quotes from Lombardi during the presser was he was asked about what he learned from his last OC job, and he said, 
having more flexibility to adjust. That is exactly what he needed. That's exactly the issue he had in Detroit. So he didn't adjust in Detroit. He's grown since then. So that experience and hopefully learning from it will serve him well as the Chargers' new offensive coordinator. Yeah, I hope so. And I think to further your point about uh, Staley's vision, it sounds like as you read about all of these coordinators, and we'll get into it more with Swinton and Hill, is it sounds like this is going to be a very collaborative process from top to bottom in terms of putting the scheme together, how they're going to go about identifying the players they need to fill positions from the top of the roster to the bottom of the roster, how that funnels into defense and offense and special teams. As you listen to all of these guys, all of them talk about, well, especially Ronaldo Hill. Well, when we were in when we were in Denver together, we officed next door to each other and we would spend all all day, every day, looking at the new things that offenses were doing in the NFL and trying to figure out how to sabotage them before they beat us. And it sounds like that's going to be the approach here is they're all going to get together and game plan and they're all going to figure out how to how to make things work for Herbert on defense, on special teams. And it's going to be a very collaborative, cohesive effort. Whereas I, th- it feels like they've been fractured in years past where it was, oh yeah, this is what we're doing on offense. This is what we're doing on defense. And we'll figure out special teams. Like whatever's left, special teams gets the scraps. And we'll talk about that when we talk about Swinton because he, he talks about that a lot in his press conference. It doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. So, and to be fair to circle back to Lombardi for a minute, to be fair to him, you know, you talk about him being inflexible and, and doing what worked in New Orleans, that is what he was hired to do. Now, you do need to be able to be flexible and figure out what works for your, your players and design a scheme around their skill sets. But he was hired to bring that spread wide open, big play passing offense to, to Detroit and he did have some weapons that should have been able to further that. Now, he should have tweaked it. He should have been yes. more flexible. He should have found better ways to do what he was trying to do and maybe not be so – it wasn't even really creative. He was just trying to do too much. It was like, here, here's how smart I am. I've seen this work. I know it's going to work. And he just never adjusted, and he got away from the things that did work. So hopefully he figures out what works quickly and sticks with it and builds on it and adds to it and figures out what doesn't work and gets away from it because we've seen too much over the last four years of this is what we're going to do no matter who we're playing this is the game plan this is how it's going to work and it doesn't work so they have to adjust week to week opponent to opponent play to play quarter to quarter they have to and hopefully that's something that we'll see yeah and that's what it sounds like so far i mean we'll see when the season starts but in terms of the press conference you're right it's it's a very collaborative effort and uh let's let's talk about ronaldo ronaldo hill you mentioned a little bit about him the new defensive coordinator so hill is a former db uh, with the cardinals raiders dolphins and broncos his trajectory is the same as a coach uh, being a db coach at Pitt, and most recently with the broncos brandon staley worked with hill in denver under vic fangio so another connection there Hill's biggest contribution as a coach is the progression of Justin Simmons in Denver. We saw Simmons had his two best seasons while under Hill for the two years he worked with him uh, in Denver. And this past season, Justin Simmons was voted into the Pro Bowl. Also 2019, DB's Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson were both named second team All-Pro. So this is obviously a small sample size, but there are some bits of development with some guys Hill has coached previously. Uh, Ronaldo 
will also be reuniting with Chris Harris, who Hill coached in Denver in 2019. We don't have a ton to go off of here with Ronaldo Hill, but this hire to me carries the least amount of weight in that Brandon Staley has already said he is the one who's going to be calling the defensive plays, and that is absolutely 100% the way it should be. So Ronaldo Hill will basically be a co-DC with Staley. Again, this is Staley's vision, uh, and the defense is his baby. So while Hill hasn't had a ton of experience in the NFL and none as a defensive coordinator, he gets to grow into a role here with the Chargers with Staley at the head of it, which is the perfect situation for a coach in that, you know, you get to grow with a new, bright, young defensive mind and a guy you're familiar with who's going to help you out and grow. And probably maybe Staley starts to give him more and more as he starts to learn more in this defense. But, you know, you love to have the star power and have a big name as a defensive coordinator, but Staley's already going to be calling the play. So the fact that Ronaldo Hill has the least amount of experience of any of these three coordinators, that doesn't carry a lot of water with me because Staley's going to be calling these plays. Yeah, and I think, you know, you were talking about his coaching history. He actually got his start at Wyoming, and um, Ed Donatel and Todd Bowles helped him get placed as a grad assistant in Wyoming in 2012. The next year, he became the DB coach in 2013 for Wyoming. And after that, this is one of the things that I love about him because there isn't a whole lot to to kind of hold on to, is that yeah. in 2014, he realized that there were a lot of things about coaching that he didn't understand. He didn't really, he wanted to get a feel for how programs that have a lasting history of success over a 15, 20 year period, how they build, how they laid their foundation and how they built their programs. So he quit coaching and he spent all of 2014 traveling to Alabama, Michigan State, Utah, and North Dakota State, all programs that have long-term coaches and have had long-term success on some level. And he just asked questions about how they built their programs, how they laid their foundation, how they became successful, how they got to where they are. And he refers to it as his coaching sabbatical. No one made him do it. He didn't have to do it. He wasn't getting paid to do it. He said, I just realized I needed some answers. And if I was going to be a coach, I needed to figure out how to find them. And that was my way of finding them. Mm -hmm. So to me, that says a lot about a guy who kind of understood what he didn't know and went out and tried to find the answers for it so that he could figure out what he was doing with his career and how, how to become a better coach. And I think it's paid off. Um, he had some success at Pitt. When Miami hired him away from Pitt as the Pitt DB coach, the The head coach for, for Pitt referred to him as a critical part of their, of their uh, coaching staff. He was recognized as someone who builds strong relationships with players and coaches and operates with a lot of integrity. So kind of a theme you're seeing develop with the with the new coaching staff, you know, those are a lot of the same words that were used to describe Staley. Somebody who connects with people, he talks to people, he gets to know them, he builds relationships with them, builds that trust, figures out what they do well and puts them in positions to succeed. These are all things you want in a coach and it's things that we really that the Chargers really haven't had in coaches over the last 4 years, actually the last 8 years. Um he went from there to being the DB coach for the Dolphins. He coached Xavier Howard to one of his first Pro Bowl seasons. You mentioned his success with Justin Simmons. He, You mentioned his success with Kareem Jackson. He actually took Kareem Jackson after the Texans decided Jackson couldn't play anymore and oversaw his transition to safety, where he's now having a great deal of success as safety. And you've also seen some development over the last couple of years with younger corners like Bryce Callahan and Michael Ojemudier, and he helped lay the foundation for Minka Fitzpatrick in Miami. 
So he's had he's played a role in some up and coming young defensive backs, seeing them develop and become better players. Some other some other similarities to Brandon Staley here. He's a guy who is widely considered a football junkie, always studying, always scheming, always teaching, over always looking for new trends and how to stop them. Uh, believes in being multiple with fronts and coverages, and he he likes to identify and game plan for new offensive trends so that they can stop them before they become a problem. I was a little bit surprised during his press conference that I think it was Daniel Popper asked him about some of the players on the defense, who he was excited to work with. One of the players he mentioned was Kaiser White. You go back and do some research, he actually tried to recruit Kaiser White to Pitt as a safety before White ended up at West Virginia. So there are ties there. He understands what White does. Maybe we'll see White in a better role that better suits his his uh, his skill set. I have a yeah. feeling we're going to see him in the middle of the defense this year. Um, and I think he's gonna. I think he's still going to play an inter, an integral role in weekly game plans and designing the defensive scheme. Even though he won't be the play caller, I think he and he and Staley and Giff Smith and all these other guys that they're bringing in, who some some of whom haven't been confirmed yet. They'll all be part of that process. So, and I, I like what you said about him being put in his in a position to learn from an up and coming new head coach. And of course, he has a relationship with that coach already. They already know that they work well together. So, I think it's a situation that should work. Uh, he won't be calling plays, so it's not like they're going to be you know handicapped by the fact that he's inexperienced as a play caller and have to go through that you know kind of growing that the learning curve, so to speak. Um, but I feel like they got a coach here who's had some success developing young talent. He, like I said, a self a self described junkie, is somebody who is going to spend time figuring out ways to stop opposing offenses. I think this has the potential to be a good hire. I'm not doing backflips about it because there isn't a lot to know about him, but he seems like an intelligent, self aware guy who loves football and spends his time studying the game and has a good handle on some of the Chargers players. So I'm I'm curious to see how that'll work, and I I think hopefully it'll work out to be a good hire. There is a theme we talked, you know, that these are all respected guys. They like you mentioned about the sabbatical that he took, the football sabbatical. All seem to be students of the game, and from a personal level, all guys you want to root for. You know, Staley, obviously a guy with his uh, history with his family and cancer. Uh, the the beautiful story about being smooth as chocolate milk. Uh, Lombardi <laughs> being getting a second chance at an OC. Ronaldo Hill, who's obviously a student of the game, learning and one a bright mind, and another guy that we're about to talk about now that I'm a fan of and I want to root for too, and that's the special teams coordinator, uh, Darius Swinton. Yeah, so Swinton, um, he's been coaching in the NFL since 2009. Actually got to start as a coach as a grad assistant for Tennessee, uh, the Volunteers, in 2007. Spent two years with them. Spent three years with the Rams under Steve, Steve Spagnuolo as a special teams quality control coach. He spent also spent time with the Chiefs, the Broncos, the Bears, was a special teams coordinator for a year for Chip Kelly in San Francisco, went back to the Bears, has some experience as an offensive assistant, and spent the last two years as a special teams assistant and game management assistant with the Cardinals. He actually, when he left the Lions in, after 2018, uh, apparently couldn't find a job as a special teams coach. So he wound up taking a fellowship, a diversity and coaching fellowship with the Cardinals just to keep his foot in the door as a coach and then was promoted to the special teams assistant role and game management assistant role um, in 2020. And 
He had a lot of input in some of the game management decisions the Cardinals had in 2020. Uh, his special teams units over the last two years ranked 13th in 2019 and 10th in 2020, according to Rick Gosselin, who is kind of the, the Bible for special teams rankings. The Cardinals' defense had an average starting field position of the 27, basically the 28-yard line, which was 12th in the league in 2020. By comparison, the Chargers were 31st with their opponents starting at basically the 32-yard line. So four yards doesn't seem like a big difference, but field position is everything in this game. So anytime you can push the, the opposing team back four or five yards, it gives your your defense that much better of a chance of getting a stop. Um, in 2019, they were the Cardinals' defense was ninth in terms of starting field position, just inside the 27-yard line. The Chargers were 20th, basically at the 29-yard line. So again, you're gaining some some field position there with this with this special teams unit. Um, according to Football Outsiders, the Cardinals kickoff and punt teams graded favorably in 2020. Um, both units improving dramatically from 2019 to 2020 after Swinton was promoted from the fellowship role to the special teams assistant role. Uh, he talks about believing in playing fast, physical, and fundamentally sound on special teams. Uh, he spoke a lot in his press conference about he he coaches based on the principle that it's his job to keep every single player in his room employed. So he builds relationships with these guys, talks about what they want to do, what they do well, what they don't do well, uh, tries to maximize their strengths, improve on their weaknesses, and he tells them, it's my job to make sure you all have a job at the end of training camp, which is something that always kind of surprises the players because I don't think coaches usually talk that way. Um, he says he believes that it starts with relationships and communication before the teaching can really begin because you have to build that trust level. Uh, Swinton also says that he believes um, coaching be begins with a collaborative process with the coaches in the front office. Uh, he says that the process is based on evaluation, education, and implementation, which basically means evaluate what you have and what you need. Um, and then educate yourself and the other coaches about what's needed and how to round out their respective depth charts. So he'll go to say, you know, usually special teams units are made up of wide receivers, running backs, linebackers, and cornerbacks. So he'll go to the coaches in each of those rooms and say, what do you need in your fourth wide receiver? What kind of body type? What kind of athletic profile? What kind of skill sets? What does he need to do to be able to make the team? And how can we play that into what he needs to be able to do to make special teams and help special teams be better? And that's how they go about building out the bottom third of the roster for special teams because most of those guys aren't going to see a lot of time on offense and defense. But if they can fit what they need in a specific niche on offense and defense and they can help improve special teams and improves their opportunity to make the team. Once they put all that information together, they go to the front office, they tell them what they found, and the and it's the job of the front office and the coaches to implement that plan in free agency and the draft. So there is a very um, cohesive, collaborative approach to building the roster, to really building a productive special teams unit instead of just saying, okay, we need a linebacker, here's a linebacker in the seventh round. There's a lot of detail and a lot of planning going into filling these spots to make sure that they can produce on special teams as they're building, you know, climbing their way up the roster into bigger roles on offense and defense. Yeah, and just to add on to what you were talking about, about keeping these guys employed, you know, he said, you know, we get 90 players and we can't keep all of them. So when I mean employed, if you're not employed with us, 
I want to get you a job somewhere. I want you to be a football player. So he's going to give them every opportunity to make the Chargers roster. If they don't, he will leave them with enough skills in their skill set and in their toolbox that he can get them a job somewhere else with another team, and then he's going to be the one fighting for them to get another job. So when they call and go, hey, what's the deal with you know this this you know wide receiver? We love him. Here's what he does well, and he's going to help you get a job somewhere else. So very unselfish in that manner in that he wants to get them employed, not just with the Chargers, but have have a football career. Let them play the game they love, and he's going to give them the best opportunity to land a job somewhere which is absolutely beautiful. And so, uh, you know, you mentioned a lot of uh, his his past as a special teams coordinator. Uh, he's been a special teams quality control coach or special teams assistant with seven different organizations since 2009. Uh, been coaching for over a decade on special teams. And he was a special teams coordinator with the 49ers in 2016. Um, as that special teams coordinator with the Niners, the team was ranked 16th in the NFL. Swinton improved the San Francisco unit, which was ranked 27th the year before and 24th the year before that. So the 49ers had hired four different special teams coordinators in four years. So Swinton, even though he improved the unit, was part of a turnover there in San Francisco. So he ended up getting canned. He only worked there for a year in San Francisco, but then bounced around the league. Uh, During his tenure as special teams coaches, Swinton has coached a few pro bowlers on special team side, including kicker Matt Prater and punter Dustin Colquitt when he was in Kansas City. Darius Swinton was the assistant special teams coordinator for the Chicago Bills in 2017. That's where he worked with Brandon Staley, who was the Bears outside linebackers coach there during 2017. While in Arizona last year, Swinton, like you mentioned, was uh, served as an in-game manager where he made situational decision-making with head coach Cliff Kingsbury. Now, he ended up going in detail in his press conference about what exactly he did with Kingsbury, and it is awesome. He to, And this, to me, is huge with Swinton. I mean, I love his personality, what he does with players, but this in-game manager is just an added bonus to this hire. In Arizona, Kingsbury calls the plays, and Staley's obviously going to do that on the defensive side. It was Swinton and two other uh, coordinators in Arizona would get together and give Kingsbury their opinions between drives. So during the offense, while Kingsbury's calling the plays, it's third and short. Swinton and these other coordinators are like, if we get stopped on third down, do we go for it on fourth down? Do we punt? Do we kick a field goal? Um, what happens uh, during the you know the two minute drill? Uh, do we need to go for two? Do we so? While they, you know, on third down, it's short. Swinton goes up to Kingsbury, goes, hey, listen, we're on the 50. Uh, Odds say uh, they work with statistics and uh, analytics, too. Analytics say we need to go for it here on fourth and short. We're down by 10. We need to extend this game, try to get back in it. Kingsbury then hears Swinton and their decision and then implements what he wants to do. So uh, what Swinton described is it doesn't take Kingsbury out of the moment. Kingsbury doesn't need to think about what's happening other than the next play he needs to call. Swinton and these other two coordinators are the guys that are looking ahead at the time about what's going to happen in the future. What happens if we get stopped? Do we need a punt? Do we need to kick a field goal? Do we go for two? They make those decisions, say, hey, here's what decision we think we should do. Kingsbury, you make the decision. That, to me, is a beautiful role that I'd love to see him with the Chargers in Staley. I that to me is awesome. And that, uh, Swinton says, is why Arizona was so good during those two minute drills in the end of games was because they had it all planned out. Kingsbury didn't have to take it out of the moment and do it himself. So to me, just a beautiful little cherry on top to this uh, special teams coordinator. And, um, you know, all these three guys that they hired, they all said the right things in press conferences. 
in fact, make it four because Brandon Staley was so impressive. Yeah, he really in his introductory was. Pre- oh my god, <laughs> he came off. I get why they. I'm surprised they didn't hire him like the first time they saw him <laughs> when he walked in the room. I mean, just the aura and the presence. There's just something so special about this man. And Swinton to me was the most fiery of these three coordinators. He was very passionate. He's very big on personal relationships, connecting with players, and his Zoom call was 38 minutes. I could have listened to him talk about football for another hour. I think players are going to gravitate towards Swinton. I, uh, You know, it's a special teams coordinator. You know, you can't get too worked up about it, but the experience, uh, the way he connects with players, the in-game management, I like this hire a lot. Didn't know anything about him going into this, but everything I've read about him is beautiful. And the fact that he didn't want to leave football. He couldn't find a job and just took a, took a job with the Cardinals so that he can keep his foot in the door, like you mentioned, and then get promoted. It's beautiful. I'm not even sure what he took with the Cardinals initially was a job. It was a fellowship. I think it's basically right. like a glorified internship. So he was carrying somebody's water for a year just to stay in the game. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's the passion and the love, like you mentioned, with the, with the football sabbatical that we saw yep. with Hill. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think... You know, something else to point out too is, you know, as you're looking at his history, it's easy to look at it and say, oh man, Swinton's really bounced around from job to job. He's never in one place for very long. You know, is he, is he getting fired? What's the deal? I've had some people throw that my way. Like he's like a vagabond, you know, he's, he's never in one place for very long. What's going on? And I think if you look at his history, what you really see is he got caught up in a lot of coaching turnovers, like you mentioned in San Francisco. So, you know, he was, he was with the Rams for three years. That staff got fired. Then he went to the Chiefs the year before they hired Andy Reid and they brought in Dave Tobe. So that staff got fired. Not on him, just bad timing. Then he was in uh, Denver with John Fox. That staff got fired, but he followed Fox to the Bears in 2015. Then he got his promotion with Chip Kelly with with the 49ers in 2016. That staff got fired. Then Fox brought him back as a special assistant to special teams again in 2017. Then he took the role with the Lions, which was just miserably run with uh, with Matt Patricia, and he got fired after that year, and he spent the last two years with the Cardinals. So he does have a history of once he catches on with a place with some stability, as long as he's not leaving for, promo- for a promotion, which you can't really blame him for, uh, he tends to stick because they like his work and he's obviously good at what he does. So... On the surface, it might look like he's bouncing around a lot, but I, I don't really think he is. I think he's just had some bad timing in some spots and a job that yeah. is volatile to begin with. Yeah, and these hires with these three guys shows a couple things. Uh, one, uh, the thing the, the main positive to me is that the Chargers front office didn't meddle in any of these hirings. They, they basically gave Staley the keys, and he got to hire his guys. For better or worse, you know, the hires also show that since he is so green, Staley, that, you know, in terms of NFL experience, his NFL circle is kind of small. These are all guys that he has connections with, guys that he's hired. You know, all these coordinators have uh, working experience with Staley. And, you know, I guess Lombardi would be the big name of this group. Uh, the Seahawks did express interest in Joe Lombardi. But other than that, it's not like any of these other guys were very highly coveted coordinators before being hired. But, you know, I, who knows how it'll turn out to me. It, you know, this, and this is a lot of first go round for a couple of guys and, you know, a second go round for a Lombardi and, um, Swinton, but, um, you know, obviously Staley circle is limited, but when you look at this, 
And, you know, I, I, I get that it may not move the needle for a lot of people in these names, but, you know, I just want to reiterate, I talked about earlier on paper, you know, maybe it's not big names, guys, you want, you know, you want to see those big names come in as, as the coordinators, but you got to trust Brandon Staley and his vision. You know, he's going to have his fingerprint all over every phase of this game. And there's enough experience with a lot of these guys, Lombardi and Swinton, to help implement his plan. And the common thread when all these guys talked, Lombardi, Hill, and Swinton during their press conferences was they were believers in Brandon Staley. They took these jobs because Brandon Staley is special. He's a genuine human being. Uh, Hill mentioned that. Swinton mentioned that. And we thought the same thing on the podcast. This is a special coach. We've been a part of the McCoy hire during this podcast, the Lynn hire, and we did not like either of them. We liked we liked Staley before they hired him. This is one that we were excited about, and you got to believe in his vision. If you don't love these guys on paper, just trust the man at the head of it. Yeah, and I think you know the other point too is they're not going with recycled names. They didn't force, you know, Gus Bradley or Ken Wisenhunt on a first-time head coach. Right. They're yeah. going with young guys that they're looking to build around who are they're hoping are going to be here for a long time. And yeah. I think that says something too. It's not it's not status quo. It's not the same old plan of, okay, we hired a coordinator, let's surround him with a couple guys who got fired as head coaches and hope that they can help him figure it out. They're going to let Staley figure it out, and they're going to let him run his staff as he sees fit, which is something we always said they needed to do. Yeah. So the fact that they have made that transition from meddling in coaching hires to letting the head coach do that is a huge, huge plus. It's something that they – I don't. I, it's been a long time since they've done it, if they've ever done it at all. Oh, yeah. I, I was going to say, have they done it? ever done it at all? I mean, I know that you know, they forced Pagano on um, McCoy and on Norv, I think. They forced Wiz on Lynn. Yep. So, and I, you know, who knows how how involved they were in hiring Gus when they hired Lynn. But yeah, it's a pattern. They always there's always one coach that they want to keep, and they force them on the new head coach. And they didn't do that this time, and that's awesome. I think it's a great a great sign of their plan and their approach to hiring coaches and building the team changing, which is something that clearly needed to happen. So that's a positive. Uh, and I think, you know, going for the sexy name might be fun. It might get people fired up. But you go for a sexy OC, he's gone next year. With Lombardi, there's just enough gray area in his background that even if they have a great year this year, he's probably going to need another year or two as the Chargers offensive coordinator with a lot of success before somebody's looking at him as a head coach candidate. Right. So all of these guys, particularly Swinton and, and Hill, are likely to be here for probably three or four years. And I would say Lombardi is probably in that same boat. Yeah. So they probably reduce the likelihood of coaching turnover for the next, at least two or three years, which is another positive. If you're looking for stability and continuity in a system and a philosophy for Herbert and the rest of the team, that's somewhere that's a direction they needed to go in. So there could have been sexier names out there. There could have been people that got people fired up and more excited, but I think, Maybe they landed on some guys who are going to be here for a while and can, who can help change the way things have been working within the organization for a while. Yes, yes, absolutely. No, I mean, they did it right in, in all aspects so far. I mean, you know, you could nitpick and say, hey, they should have kept uh, Pep Hamilton or, you know, something like that. But, you know, this is Staley's staff. Let him pick his guys 
and uh, they didn't force anybody on him, and he got to hire his guys. Again, for better or worse, but this is his vision, and this is going to be a collaborative collaborative effort like we talked about earlier. So, you know, everybody's going to have all hands on deck. Yeah, I think Pep is the one guy that you could make a case for staying, and probably nobody would have had a real problem with it, Uh, especially if the rumors about them hiring Shane Day are true, and that gets confirmed. That's a hire that you're probably not overly excited about, and there are some legitimate questions about, but um, overall, I think they've done a good job here, and hopefully we can continue to say that as they continue to build the staff out and finalize things with the next, I don't know, 10 or 15 coaches they hire as they move forward with the process. Yeah. yeah. This, I mean, this is the first time, this this feels good. This is the first time it feels good after a hire. Yeah, for sure. I was really excited when they hired Staley. I just figured they'd meddle in his assistant, yeah. you know, and building out his staff, and they haven't done that, so... So far, so good. Yeah. No, and it was so beautiful that after our podcast and uh, naming who we liked in our top five, that everybody was like, "We're with you." It's Stanley or Dable or Bust. That was so awesome. So many people coming forward and saying, "Finally, Staley was getting in the mix because he was kind of a under the radar type guy." Uh, people going, "Hey, I loved Staley. Loved his story. I'm with you." And then the excitement when they did hire Staley that was awesome because. Nobody got excited about Lynn. Nobody really got excited about McCoy. This at least has some some shine on it, finally. We all had to talk ourselves into Lynn for sure. I know I did. So <laughs> <laughs> It didn't sound like it on that podcast. We were so down on Lynn. I remember how depressing that was. Yeah, the podcast, we were not happy about it. I had to do some <laughs> research and talk myself into it after the podcast. But right. Yeah, that was that was not the hire I wanted for sure. <laughs> and they did not work out. So hopefully this does... Thanks, guys, for listening. We appreciate you guys. And uh, I am at Garrisisti Jamie. At lightning underscore round. All right. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.